If you have your Bibles, I invite you again, please, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of this fascinating book. This is actually message number 31. And I think I have two more before I get to chapter 13, Brother Mike. So you have two more weeks to continue to practice. Message number 31. Paul, of course, is dealing with the gross misuse of spiritual gifts in the assembly by the believers, whom he specifically describes as being fleshly or carnal, meaning that they are living as though they are not believers, although they are. He is not saying that they are not believers. He is saying that they are living as though they are not believers. He describes believers as those who have the spirit. They are spiritual. He describes those who do not have the spirit as natural or carnal. So he's saying to these people, by the way they live, they're living as though they do not have the spirit of God. Now that implies right away that the source, the power for spiritual living is the spirit of God. Because he's saying the reason why the power of the spirit of God is not being manifested is because... You're walking as though he does not live in your life. And we'll see how important that is when we get into this chapter and also chapter 13 and 14. Now, as you recall last time, we looked at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 12. That's where he describes these spiritual gifts or manifestations. Let me give you a summary of that so we we can have something to latch on to as we move into the next portion of this chapter. I summarize what he said in verses 8 through 11 in this fashion. The Holy Spirit manifests himself through believers in a variety of ways through members of the body of Christ for the common good. That means for all the body. As a whole, according to his exclusive and sovereign determination. In other words... He does it in the way that he chooses to do through the individuals that he chooses to do it through. It's all to the sovereign manifestation of the Spirit of God. He decides who does what, when it is done, and so on. That's the thrust of those verses. And so I paraphrase uh, the verse like this. Now, on the screen you'll see we have two columns on the text on the left is how it is recorded or translated in the New American Standard Bible. But as you know, I like to paraphrase it in order to explain the text as I understand it to be. So my paraphrase is on the right. That's A-R-L-P. That means Alan R. Lee. What? Paraphrase. Hey, you're getting there. All right. Now, I'm only going to read my paraphrase. You could follow along on the New American Standard part, if you like, but I'm only going to read my paraphrase of the section. And for those of you here last time, will, I think, catch right away the trust of this passage. Because you remember, through the passage, he talks about to another this gift and to another this gift. And we tried to explain that that word another has two meanings. One means another of the same kind and another of a different kind. And so I am going to translate the passage with that in mind. Also taking the emphasis of gifts and put it on manifestations. 
When you put it on gifts, you focus on the person. When you put it on manifestations, you put it on the Spirit of God. And he is the one who's involved. So this is how I paraphrase the passage. Now, it must be understood that the Holy Spirit manifests his power, if you could even say his person, through each and every believer for the collective good of everyone. For instance, through one, he manifests the message of wisdom at his discretion. While through another, he will manifest his power in a similar way through the message of knowledge. He also manifests himself through faith, which is a different type of manifestation that the word, than the word of wisdom and knowledge. But yet, it is still he, the Holy Spirit, who produces the manifestation. Other manifestations of the same kind as faith are those of various types of healings. Working of miracles, prophecy, and the discerning of spirits. Other manifestations of a different kind are those of speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. All these various manifestations are the works of the one and the same spirit who manifests them through whomever he chooses. That's my paraphrase of that passage. Now, because of the various positions, in fact, we could even say controversy that exists with reference to the use of gifts in the church, I thought it might be appropriate at this time to share with you the position that the pastoral board here has arrived at with relation to the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our doctrinal statement. And this is the result of the pastoral board meeting and studying this passage and others for a long time. And this is what we've come up with. This is found in section four, or this will be found in section four of the, of, of the doctrinal statement, the person, work, the person, work, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. This is our position as a pastoral board. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come indwells all believers in Jesus Christ, baptizes them into his body, seals them unto the day of redemption, endows them with special spiritual abilities for the building up of the church, so that it is the responsibility, and that it is the responsibility of every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We further believe that the gifts of the Spirit have been sovereignly given to the church by our head, Jesus Christ, to be lovingly exercised by each member of his body for the common good of the whole, to the end that it may grow into his likeness. We believe that the gifts of men, that's the emphasis, the gifts of men, because we see two different types of gifts in Scripture, gifts of men and gifts of ability. The gifts um, of men as apostles and prophets have ceased with the initial found, founding of the church. We believe that some of the ability gifts, such as those of speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the performance of healings, and the workings of miracles by individuals, have been especially having been especially associated with the establishment of the church in the world 
and its special and unique needs at that time, and this is the important sentence, have ceased as a normal, now notice that uh, explanation there, has ceased as a normal expected or required activity of the established church today. We believe that the gifts of men as evangelists and as pastor teachers are given to the church today to equip the members to utilize their individual gifts to affect the ministry of the church as a whole so that it might build itself up in love toward maturity in Christ. And we give you the references of scripture. That's our pastoral position on the exercises of gifts, especially within the congregation. I want you to notice the phrase that we highlighted there. They have ceased as a normal, expected, or required activity of the established church today. We're not saying that they have ceased completely wherever the, the church might exist or whatever it is. They have ceased as a normal, expected, and required activity of the established church today. We say that because in actuality, when all of the fluff is taken away from the arguments, this is the crucial difference between the charismatics and the non-charismatics. And that is whether the gifts, all of them, not just some, whether the gifts, all of them, are expected and necessary to be practiced in the established church today. Not necessarily that they have ceased or uh, ceased altogether. You get that point? The idea is whether or not they are expected to be the norm and to be a part of the activities of the established church. That's the difference. The so-called hard cessationists, the hard cessationists are those who say all the gifts have stopped. That's the hard cessationists. They would say, no, no gifts are to be manifested anytime, anywhere. The charismatics, they would say, all the gifts are to be expected to be used today. The soft cessationists would say, no, only certain gifts have stopped that was given for the establishment of the church, the validation of the church, but it is possible if the same conditions exist somewhere that existed in the beginning of the church, that it's possible that those gifts might be necessary again. That's the source. So it's a possibility. You understand what I'm saying? That's sort of the area that we fit into ourselves because we don't believe that the scripture teaches explicitly, explicitly, clearly that all the gifts have stopped. All right? I don't think anyone could establish that. They might come up and bring arguments to show that it might have and so on. I could do that for apostles. I could do it for prophets and uh, others. But we cannot do it for the whole thing. So that's our explanation. Having made that clarification, let's get back to the text now. So please open your Bibles again. Oh, I hope they are opened. Verses 12 to 27. I believe that here Paul describes... The nature of the incredible body of Christ. This is a fantastic passage of scripture. And I trust that the spirit of God might lay upon your heart the, the, the truth in this passage and the warmth and the love that is described here and the mystery that we have in the body of Christ. So he describes the incredible body of Christ as one body with many parts or members. And that's his main point. One body... Many members, unity 
and diversity working together through the sovereign control of the Spirit of God for the glory of God. All right, let's look at verse 12. Paul begins by giving an illustration of the spiritual truth that he is describing. I want you to read this text with me, please, as it's seen on the screen. Being conscious of the fact that what we're reading now is the word of God and not the word of man. Read this passage together then, please, in unison and as loud as you like. Let's go. For... For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. What Paul is saying in this passage is that the body of Christ is similar to the human body. It is one body, but it consists of many members. That's diversity. Sharing one source of life, the Holy Spirit. That's unity. That's the core truth he's talking about. And he's simply repeating the same thing over and over again. And this is important. Why is he doing this? Why is he repeating the same truth again and again and again? Because he wants us to get it. He wants us to understand it because the Christians at Corinth seem to have forgotten it or didn't understand it. In verse 12, he makes the incredible revelation that the body of Christ made of believers is equated with Christ himself. Notice the text. So also is Christ. Do you see that? So also is Christ. This is a tremendous truth here. So also is Christ. We are equated with the person of Jesus Christ. We are one with him. Remember the Apostle Paul on his way to Damascus to murder, to kill the Christians. He's knocked down by the glory of Christ. Lord, Lord, he says, who are you? Remember that? I am Jesus, right? Whom you what? Persecute. Who is he persecuting? Jesus. Through the saints. He himself personally in glory. Saints on earth. He identifies. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying really to us this. If the world is looking to see what Jesus looks like and who he is, he should be able to look at the church. Now I mean the people of God. I don't mean the building. I don't mind how beautiful the building might be. It's not like Jesus Christ. He's talking about the individuals. That's what he's saying. It's so also is Christ. Now in verse 13, he says, We, the believers, were joined or put into Christ and to one another by the Holy Spirit. He's going to show now how this diversity is made into unity. And it's through the agency of the Spirit of God. By the way, this is the meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
When you hear the term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, please don't be thinking about speaking in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has to do with the birthing of the church, where Jesus Christ sends his Holy Spirit, sends the Holy Spirit to incorporate into one body everyone who believes in him. That incorporation, though, is not only with members, it's with head. We are joined by the Holy Spirit to Christ. We are joined by the same Holy Spirit to one another, who is also joined to Christ. That's what he's saying here. This is the meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is when the church was given birth by the baptism, the incorporation of the Spirit of God. Paul is teaching the wonderful truth that baptism of the Holy Spirit creates a mystical union. Now please, I'm not saying a magical union. I'm saying a mystical union. It's one that we really cannot fully understand. The baptism of the Spirit of God creates a mystical union that makes us as believers one with Jesus Christ and one with one another. That's a mystical union. The Spirit of God unites us to Christ, unites us to one another, and we are united to him. That's a mystical union. That's the body of Christ. Now look at verse 14. Paul makes the application. Or rather, he gives an explanation. He says, for the body is not one member, but many. He said that before. But he wants us to get it because we forget it. By definition, then, the body is not one member. Just by definition, if it's a body, you've got more than one member. This speaks, then, to us in a practical way of participation of each member, each and every member of the body of Christ. We cannot be a part of the body of Christ and not participate in the growth of that body. Can't do it. This also implies that the key to spiritual growth in the church is not finding the best pastor. That's not the key to spiritual growth. The key to spiritual growth is not going after the latest fad that comes out of there. It's not attending all kinds of conferences. That's not the growth. That's not the key to spiritual growth. The key to spiritual growth is the participation of each and every member in the body of Christ. That's the key. The key is the inherent power of the body of Christ. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inherent within the body. He is there already. And it's when he is allowed to be released to the members participating, sharing their gifts, that a dynamic, dynamic occurs that this mystical body grows to be like Jesus Christ. It's a dynamic that it only occurs within the church of Jesus Christ. And it's a dynamic that cannot be created by organizational structure. It's a dynamic, it's a dynamic that, not, that cannot be created by rules and regulations. It's a dynamic that can only be created 
to the Spirit of God motivating, infusing every individual member. And those members are responding to their head. That's how spiritual growth occurs. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth here. This is the key then to genuine, authentic, authentic spiritual growth. It's the participation and involvement in the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. So I say to you again, if you are always finding fault with what's going on with the church inside, remember you were the cause of it. You're the cause of it. That's what this passage is teaching. This dynamic is effectively maximized through relationships, not organizational structure. You could command me, I could command you to do all kinds of things, and we still will not have unity or fellowship. You can't command it. You can't demand it. It is something that you must do as a member of Christ because you are responding to your head. And when you do that, Spiritual growth. Oh no, you could go through the motions. You can do all the good work. You could be as so thankful for Sister Betty, serving the Lord. But do you know, Sister Beth, 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 Betty, it's possible to do that for yourself. The same way I could get up here and preach for myself. To preach to get a pat on the shoulder. To preach to say, hey boy, isn't that great? I could do that for 50 years and I don't do anything to you all at all. You could be involved in all kinds of Awana. You could be involved in Sunday school. You could be all, all kinds of those ministries. But if you're only doing it because of this mechanical demand, this organizational thing, and you're only doing it because it's you and you don't think about nobody else, it's useless as far as God is concerned and the growth of the body is concerned. That's what Paul is saying. In other words... The relationships we form in the body of Christ become life-giving avenues of mutual loving service to one another. It's as we develop relationships with one another, not pass one another by. Oh, hey, yeah, I remember seeing you last week. It's developing relationships. That's an organic dynamic in the body. In other words, we build up one another in the faith by lovingly, mutually sharing our gifts with one another. That's what Paul is saying. Now let's go to verse 15. And I, 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 I you know, I, I was looking at this the other night, when I, I say, boy, when Paul is writing this, he must be just laughing his head off. When he's writing this, he, he really must be, he, he really must be laughing. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it for this reason, in other words, simply making the statement, any less a part of the body? If the ear say, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now, he could have gone on naming all of the other members of the body, but he's making a point here. Paul is saying, a member of the body of Christ cannot ever not be 
a part of the body of Christ, no matter how insignificant a role he or she may feel they're playing. No matter how insignificant you may feel you are, you are still a member of the body of Christ. All members are part of the one body, Paul is saying, even if they want to be another part. <laughs> you see, that's the problem with some. Some people just don't like to see certain people get the spotlight. You'll find some people, see Betty, Alan comes up here and now, why didn't give it to that person over there? Or why didn't give it to me? That's just the way it is. And people lose sight of who they are as members of the body of power. All members are part of the one body, even if they want to be another seemingly more important member. Listen again to the word of God. If the foot says, I believe I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? In other words, Paul is saying here, denial of importance in the body does not validate such a claim of insignificance in the body. Or to put it another way, truth overrules denial of importance. Paul says you are important and that's the truth. Whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, or whether you reject it, it is still the truth. Truth overrides denial of importance. You are important to this body even though the body never sees you doing anything but you're doing it. In verse 17, Paul asked the question, what would happen if all the parts of the body were one and the same? Now close your eye for a moment. Suppose I was one nose, and that's all I was. And I was standing up here preaching to you. Now I know I got a nice looking nose, but that would be a monstrosity, wouldn't it? A one member body is an absurdity. That's what Paul is saying. There would be no body if there's only one member. A one-member body is an absurdity. Absurdity. Let me give you a modern-day illustration from a theologian who must have spent a long time coming up with this illustration. All right? I want to show it to you now on this video.
I just don't feel like I'm part of the body. I'm all the way down here, and and if I was a hand, I could do more things. Then I could be really important. <sighs> Watch where you're going, buddy! Oh, pardon me, sir. I'm very sorry. Can't see, chap. I can hear quite well, though. What's that? Come again? Can't you see? I don't have ears! Righto. <clears throat> I say, pardon me, sir. My apologies. What's that? Speak up, home skillet. Let's get back to our text. But I think it illustrates the point, doesn't it? Let's get back to verse 18. Let's read this passage together as well, please. Beginning right now. But Verse 18 tells us that it is God alone who chooses where to put all of us in the body of Christ. Not just the important ones, but it is God alone who chooses where to put each member. So this speaks of the sovereignty of God in placing members in the body of Christ. He does it just as he wants to do it. That therefore leaves no room 
for complaint on our part. Verses 19 and 20 tell us that there is no such thing as a one-member body because a body has many members. This speaks then to us of diversity. Diversity in one body. Verse 21 tells us that pride and selfishness have no place in the body of Christ. And this is probably Paul's major point here in talking to the Corinthians. Paul is emphasizing the fact that we need each other. Period. In other words, he's speaking about individuality. That's what he stresses. He is not stressing individualism, but individuality. All right? Verse 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable are those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks. Now this is an important passage of scripture here. This tells us the fact that the body is all-inclusive. To use a phrase that is used in the states concerning education, no member is left behind in the body of Christ. Paul is saying here that we forget some things. He says we might take time to make the members that we could see look presentable, look nice, look pretty. The ladies would spend hours before the mirror making their eyes look right, their nose look right, the mouth look right. Right? Spend hours doing that. How much time do you spend on dressing your kidney? How many of you really, really spend time in bathing your appendix today? Those of you who have them laugh. None of you. Isn't that right? I just spoke with our brother Samrami there. He said that his son has lost two of his kidneys. Two of them. He had to take treatment every other day. He's taking a lot of care. Now, normally you don't do that, right? You don't see them. But they're important. That's what he's saying. They're important. They're vital. Don't let's forget them just because we don't see them. They're important. In fact, he makes the point, sometimes these unseen members are more important than the members we see. Verse 25. So that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, that's what he talks about. Don't just care for how your face looks. You're talking about the body now, the human body. Take care of your kidneys. Take care of your heart. Take care of those parts you don't see. If one member suffers, all the members suffers. That's true. You buck your big toe. Right? See what happens. Now I know about that because I always buck my toe. Your whole body is affected. You lay down, man. You don't walk. You lay down. 
If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. See, that's the point Paul is trying to make. Hey, when something happens to one member, it happens to the entire body. That's not only true of the human body, that is true of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 27. And to me this this went to my heart when I was studying this again. Now you are Christ's body. And individual members of it. What happens to one happens to another. But you know what else? It also happens to Jesus Christ. That's what we forget. The way you treat Members of the body of Christ is how you treat Jesus Christ. I don't care how much you say, I love Jesus and I pray and I get up and I fast. How are you treating the other members of the body of Christ? Notice, now you are Christ's body. Christ's body. Christ's body. Christ's body. You just can't say, I want nothing to do with that foot there because I don't like it. It smells bad. It goes to sleep all the time. Mm -mm. That's Christ's body. The more prominent members are to give special attention and care to the less prominent members so that all receive equal honor. God has designated both the natural and the mystical body of Christ to be nourished and cherished in this fashion. This is what I call unity that results in divine equalization. The body of Christ is equal in the sight of God. And it should be to us. And this is what the Corinthians were missing out on. Look at this verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. In other words, Paul is saying, as we say in the Bahamas, we is one. He's one. Paul didn't know how to say that, but we do. That's how we are to live. And Paul is going to emphasize when he gets to chapter 14 and also chapter 13. Hey, we have to live as though we are one. Why? Because we are one. And that one is a mystical body of Jesus Christ. So this tells us then, and we've got to get a whole different idea of what the body of Christ is. This is why I'm saying we have lost the true meaning of what it means to be church. What it means to be the body of Christ. We've turned it into a mechanical thing, an organization, rather than focusing on an organic, mystical part of it. My friends, the body of Christ is not a restaurant where you go to get fed. And you look to see what's on the menu. You pick out what you want. And then if you don't like it, you talk about the chef. Now you know who the chef is in the church. And you might say, hey man, our needs are not being met here. I don't see that cream cake I want. All he has all the time is Johnny Gate. Let's go to another spiritual restaurant. Let's see if we can find what I want. See, focus on what I want. That's how we look at the church. Spiritual restaurant. 
Some of us look at it as a health club. It's a spiritual gym. What do you go there for? To build yourself up. You don't go to a gym to build anybody else up. You go to a gym to build yourself up. So that's what you come to church for. You come to church and say down and say, man, bless me. Now you're living in sin, mind. You're grouchy, you're backbiting, you're doing all kinds of things. You're stealing from your employers, you're stealing from your employees. You're doing all kinds of things. You come to church and say, Lord, bless me. Sometimes we do good just like a club. This is we get together with other folks just like us. You know? Just like us. We got our little table. Who there? Just the people I like. Just the people I want to talk with. And so we want to be catered to now by the staff. The staff are here to meet my needs. To meet our needs. That's a club. Some look at the church as a family entertainment center. And they come out every Lord's Day to see the floor show. And the pastor is the ringmaster. He can put it on, boy. And if the floor show isn't right, if you don't have the right entertainers, you don't have the light shining in the right place, you don't have the right person doing this, the right boy, you're in, you're in plenty of trouble. But Paul is telling us something different here. Paul is telling us that the body of Christ is a spiritual organism community brought into being by the work of the Holy Spirit which mystically unites believers both to one another and to Jesus, Jesus Christ. And from Him we draw all the spiritual resources we need to bring about the growth of the body of, of Christ. To bring it to spiritual maturity by caring for one another. By provoking one another to love and good deeds. In other words, the church is a mystical union that makes us one body with Christ as our head and with one another as equal members. Friends, listen, we have forgotten that. We've forgotten that. Some of us has no care, no concern for anybody else in this church. Once I am okay. Once I am doing my thing, I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care what problems, difficulty, that ain't my concern. That's not how a member of the body of Christ is to behave. Let me give you some practical Applications of this unique spiritual organization, or rather organism, that Jesus tells about his church, his body. Some time ago, I came across a study on this passage in which the author compared two types of churches. He called it the united church and the dis or the ununited church. Now, I have taken the liberty to alter his comments and to change his headings from the united to the organizationized. Now that's my word. Don't go look it up in the dictionary. You're not going to find it. I've changed the united to the organizationized and the ununited to the organismized. These are my inventions. I do so because I believe a church that is based purely or mostly upon business like organization structure may lead to growth. But it would only be a growth that comes from man, not from God. Whereas the body of Christ as an organism 
grows to a growth that comes from God. Let's take a look at it very quickly then before we close. In the organizationized church, that's on the left of your screen, members don't really know or understand each other's problems or potentials. In the organismized church, members do know each other's lives and are actively engaged in mutual support of one another. On the left, when members do know, they don't care enough to become involved with other people's lives. On the right, and even if they're not sure how to respond, they are hard exercised to share their joy or pain. On the left, these members extol and crave privacy and secrecy, individualism. On the right, these members accept vulnerability and disclosure, and they're not ashamed to share with one another. On the left, these members entertain and share resentments and disdain for other members. That's all they talk about. But on the right, those who won't forgive get confronted by others because accountability is accounted for in the organism or the organ eyes church. On the left, most members spend their time thinking and praying about themselves. On the right, most members spend their time thinking and praying about others. On the left, members show up for meetings, period. On the right, members show up for the meetings ready and willing to serve one another. On the left, Members want to feel blessed on the right. Members strive to bless others. On the left, thoughts of how we might affect others really come up when making personal plans. Individualism. On the right, loyalty to others mean I can't always do what I want. I may have to change my plans for the benefit of the body. That's an organism response. On the left, these members are characterized by selfish independence. On the right, these members are characterized by a wonderful and beautiful sense of belonging. On the left, these members have, a, have to pretend they are close. That leads to hypocrisy. Those on the right, Members there have real closeness, closeness. No pretense is necessary. On the left, these folk are, these folk are superficial in their Christian living. It's what we call artificial body life. It's like flowers. You go, I went into the flower plane the other day. Man, that was a beautiful thing. I don't want to get it, but my wife don't like Flowers you can throw away soon. It's a waste of money as far as she's concerned. So I look at something to grow, you know. When I looked at this, it look all right. They say that is imitation. It ain't true. That was artificial. A lot of Christians like that. Artificial. Superficial. But those who are in a body that is practicing the dynamic, the mystical dynamic of an organism, they are authentic. Here we have True body 
life. This is what Paul is striving for here. Let me say this to you. You and I determine which side of the chart you're on. I can't organize that. You have to choose one or the other. Listen to what Paul says in verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We should be rejoicing with Betty Allen this morning because she was honored. But some probably are resentful. We shouldn't be. Notice, this is not stated as a command. This is a reality. This is the way the body is when it is working properly. This is the essence of an organic relationship. This automatically and naturally happens where genuine, authentic body life is being experienced. I say again, this underlines the fact that body life is an organic reality. Many members, one body, striving for the growth of that body and the glory of God. Paul, believe it or not, says the same thing once more in verse 27. Now, he says, he's applying all he's just said to these Corinthians. You are Christ's body and individual members of it. I say the same thing to you this morning. You are Christ's body. Members of that body, connected to him, connected to one another. I say again, this speaks of a mystical, organic union, an organic way of life as contrasted with a mere organizational one. This is what produces a growth that comes from God rather than a growth that comes from man. And so I say to you again, Paul's teaching in this entire passage, in the words of the Bahamians, in Christ, we is one. Can you say that? We is one. Let's go the whole route. In Christ, we is one. Each and every one of the members of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary Bible Church is vitally important to Jesus Christ and to one another. In fact, you, as a member of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary Bible Church, are vitally important to Jesus Christ and to each other and every other member of this body. That is a reality, no matter how you may feel. Let your feelings be in accordance with the reality of the Word of God. We is one. Let us behave and act as though we are. As always, Sila, think and act on these things.